Thanks for joining us. You're listening to the Life Church Podcast. In these episodes, you will hear encouraging messages from our weekend services. If you'd like to know more about us, watch a live stream, or find the closest Eastern Iowa campus near you, go to lifechurchnow.org. So glad you're with us here on a wonderful July weekend. What we're going to do is uh, we're going to dive into a passage of scripture this morning that's a little longer than we normally do, and so it's going to require a little um, reading of a significant portion of the Bible, of the Old Testament, uh, just to concern you there, the whole Bible. Um, it's only three chapters. Um, and so, so we're going we're to find out some inside looks about a person that you may have heard of a lot. His name is Elijah. And I'm just going to dive us right in here. Uh, First of all, thank you to uh, Wilton and Cedar Rapids for looking in. And I said uh, Wilton on purpose because, you know, it starts with a W, W, Wayne, Wilton. W is an important name. So we're glad you're here. And Cedar Rapids, we're glad you're here too. So anyway, follow along if you will. If you, if you have your Bible with you, mechanical, uh, digital or otherwise, we are going to be spending a lot of time in 1 Corinthians 17, excuse me, 1 Kings 17 and following. 1 Kings 17 and following. Now, the scripture says uh, just a few verses before 17 starts. In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, Ahab's an important name here, son of Omri became king of Israel. And he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than those before him. And by the way, that's a pretty... A significant statement. He did uh, more wrong because uh, the scripture recorded the very same thing about his dad, Omri, and now it's saying it about him. So, I mean, he's really over the top. We move into the next chapter, 1 Kings 17. Now, Elijah, the Tishbite from Tishbe in Gilead, said to Ahab, the king of Israel, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except by my word. And um, so from here, it's really quite amazing. Uh, Elijah goes on an incredible winning streak. Um, he says, no rain until I say so. And for the next three and a half years, no rain. He, he says that to Ahab, who doesn't like him, by the way. Um, God directs him to go to the Kiriath Ravine, and uh, he's taken care of, although there's no food provided anywhere else uh, where he's at. Uh, God sends ravens to feed Elijah morning and night, bread and meat both times, and the brook is where he's going to drink, and that's miraculous provision. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to toil to get it. Eventually, the brook dries up, and so it goes to Zarephath. He's directed by God to go there. God tells him there's a widow that God has prepared to take care of him, uh, his uh, physical needs with regard to food and water. And so um, here's what we're told about that. Uh, after he tells her to go make him a cake, she went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Elijah showed up, go make me uh, a meal. Uh, 
make, bring it to me first, and, and then you guys can eat. And, and she said, my gosh, uh, I don't know if you know what you're talking about because I have just enough oil and flour to make a cake of bread uh, for my boy and me to eat, and then we're going to die. That's all. He says, well, go bring me a cake first. <laughs> he says it very gently, but she says, okay, and does it. And just like he says, the oil... And the flour does not get used up for the entirety of his time there. Unfortunately, that's an incredible victory. I mean, he's got to be thinking, oh, this is good. Um, but eventually, the widow's son dies. Uh, he gets sick. He passes away. And there's just a, uh, an incredible sorrow from the woman. She thinks, well, I did this for you, and now this is what you've allowed to happen to my son. He goes in, he says, bring the boy to me, uh, prays over him intensely, and he's brought back to life. Quite a winning streak, Elijah's on. Let's go to 1 Kings 18 now. Now, the famine was severe in Samaria, where they were all living, and Ahab, the king, had summoned Obadiah. Obadiah comes on the scene. This is our third uh, significant character other than God in this story. And Ahab summoned Obadiah, his palace administrator. And there's a parenthetical statement here that gives us a little insight. Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord. Ahab, uh, excuse me, um, Elijah knew this, and you'll see later why. But Ahab said to Obadiah, Ahab had said to Obadiah, go through the land and all the springs and valleys. Maybe we can find some grass to keep the horses and mules alive. So we will not have to kill any of our animals. So they divided the land. They were to cover Ahab going one direction, Obadiah going another. As Obadiah was walking along, now by himself, Elijah met him. Obadiah recognized him, because he was a follower of the Lord, bowed down on the ground and said, is it really you, my Lord Elijah? Remember, everyone's been hiding out, just uh, subsistence living, just trying to make it in the last several years. Um, it wasn't COVID, but you get the picture. Yes, he replied, go tell your master, Ahab, that Elijah is here. What have I done wrong, asked Obadiah, that you are handing your servant over to Ahab to be put to death. See, as surely as the Lord your God lives, there is no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to look for you. And whenever a nation or kingdom claimed you were not there, he made them swear they could not find you. <laughs> now you tell me to go tell my master, hey, Elijah's here. Now, Elijah has been sent by the Lord now, after all this time and what he's been doing, to tell uh, Ahab it's going to rain. At his word, now it is going to rain. It hasn't for a long time. Elijah said, as the Lord Almighty lives to Obadiah, whom I serve, I surely will present myself to Ahab today. So, he's, he's, he's followed the Lord. The Lord has his back in a very big way. You gotta think Elijah's gotta be feeling quite confident in the power and provision of the Lord, with good reason. God has backed him up, and he is winning. Verse 17 in chapter 18, when Ahab saw 
Elijah, he said to him, is that you, you troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah said, but you and your families, uh, father's family have. You've abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals, which were uh, gods of another group of people. Now summon the people from all over Israel to meet me on Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. Jezebel is King Ahab's wife, Queen Jezebel. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and some of the prophets on Mount Carmel. So the order has been out. We, had no, we don't know how long it took to, for all these people to be gathered. Uh, some period of time, obviously, the word gets out. Um, no email, uh, no TikTok, nothing in that venture. And so how long does it take everyone to get gathered and brought onto uh, up on Mount Carmel? We don't know. It probably depended a lot on how many Uber riders, uh, rides were available at that moment. But um, a little while. But nevertheless, when they all got there, verse 21, Elijah went before the people and said, how long will you waver between two opinions? It's actually three because of the Baals and Ashtra and Yahweh God. If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. And the people said nothing. Then Elisha said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. But Baal has 450 prophets, and he's not even talking about the 400 of Asherah. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves. Let them cut it into pieces and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. I will prepare the other bull and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call the name of your God, and I will call the name of the Lord Jehovah, the God who answers by fire, he is God. If you like contest, you guys say, ooh, this might be interesting. And, and you, you know, what was it like to be a prophet of Baal? Hmm. Had you ever been called upon to do something like this? And, 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 and you know, if you're a pastor, by the way, most of us are not like the prophets of Baal, so not, don't make that comparison. But if you're like a pastor... Um, you know what it's like. And many of you do, maybe in your own job too. When someone comes to you and asks a question or asks you for help in a specific area and you have no idea what to do. But you got to look like you do or you think you do. So anyway, so they put on this show, this show. Um, Elijah said to them, I'm the only one of the Lord's prophets, uh, but you go and we'll have this little contest, one old me against 450 or 750 of you. So, showdown on Mount Carmel. I think that was an old Western movie somewhere, probably black and white. 
Then we get to verse 25. So, so Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one of the bulls and prepare it first. Since there are so many of you, we'll get you guys all organized. Call the name of your God and do not light the fire. So they took the bull, uh, given them, and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. And some, some of you have a certain personality will, will get this, you know. Ooh, this is, this is uh, I thought this would be good, but it's better than I thought. Shout louder, he said, surely, surely he's a god. Perhaps he's in, I don't know, deep thought or busy or in Bermuda. Maybe he is sleeping in the hammock in Bermuda and must be awakened. I don't know. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed. They continued their frantic prophesying until the time for the evening sacrifice. And I love this sentence. But there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention. I'm guessing even the people surrounding us looking at all this are finally a little bored. <laughs> all day long this has gone on. It's been quite a spectacle, but you know, anything gets old after a while, especially when it doesn't seem to be doing anything uh, in the way it was pronounced to work. So, Elijah then says, all right, my turn. And bring the bowl, cut it into slices, uh, prepare it for the altar. Uh, he puts the 12 stones that represent an idol, that represent a, an altar that had been ruined previously for the 12 tribes of Israel. He restacked it, put the wood on top of that, put the bowl on top of that. And then, just for good measure, he says, hey, go get four pitchers of water and pour it over the sacrifice they do and pour four pitchers of water over the water over the sacrifice. Now, you got you to know, don't run past this stuff. God has Elijah's back. Go get four pitchers of what? What have they not had for several years now? Water. So he pour, they pour it over, and he says, do it again. <laughs> He's still in his taunting mode, actually. And, and, and they go, four more pitchers of water, all over. Do it again, he said, third time. They go, pitchers of water, pour the water all over. And, and, and it soaks the sacrifice, soaks the wood, drips down over the stones and into the trench that Elijah had previously dug around his sacrifice. Interesting that he felt that he would need that. So, he prays, he says, Lord, out loud for them to hear, Lord, if you, for the sake of these people who are not certain that you're real, come down and show your strength. Verse 38, then the fire of the Lord fell, 
burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, and the soil, and also looked up the water of the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and cried, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And um, you go, huh, they have some intelligence in them. So uh, going through all of this, Elijah wins, essentially, right? Here's something that's, uh, when I worked in this passage of Scripture many years ago, I found a correlation that, that just shocked me. And this passage in the New Testament referring to Elijah is, is one I love. It's just not very long. It's part of a longer verse, but this sentence says this in James 5.17. It says, Elijah was a human being just like us. And hearing what you've just heard, you go, huh? I ain't never raised nobody from the dead. What fire down from heaven or anything else? But it's a very important scripture. Elijah was a human being just like us. Well, in what way? Let's go back to 1 Kings 19. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, how he killed all the prophets with a sword. So Jezebel went, sent a messenger to Elijah and say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. And so, so you know, Elijah's on a winning streak. He's not concerned at all, right? Supper read, Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. He came to a broom brush, this is some uh, bush, some ways away, sat down under and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, he said. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. I mean, he's feeling guilty now. He has fear and guilt. Fear, and for whatever reason, he has fear that came out of nowhere and besieged him, but he also has guilt. I thought I was something. I thought I was doing right. I've worked hard at this. I've invested a whole lot. But the truth is, hmm, I am no better than my pathetic ancestors. Elijah was a human being just like us. Sometimes the bottom just drops out on us. It's amazing how far we can go sometimes. You see some people who have, have such large capacities, it seems they go and go and go, and, 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 but you don't see all the behind-the-scenes stuff. So Elijah's out of sight of everybody else. He's got his face flat in the dirt. He lay down under the bush and fell asleep. Sometimes you just run out of the confidence, the energy, the, the certainty, the faith, the hopefulness, 
the direction, it all just flees. Going on, all at once, an angel touched him and said, get up and eat. This is a messenger from God, sent by God, on assignment from God. Get up and eat. He looked around, and there was by his head some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. Wouldn't you love to see how does an angel build a fire? <laughs> how does it? Okay, maybe you don't. Uh, the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and spent the night. Angel, messenger from God, does not, does not say, what the heck are you doing here? I've heard this passage addressed most often in my growing up years as God has to be disgusted. He lost his faith. He threw away his faith. How ridiculous. How could you? Some lady says something. You know what all you've been doing? Do you forget already? How could that be possible? Only if you are a ridiculous, flimsy follower of God, not a faithful follower. It's not what the angel said. The angel said, the journey is too much for you. You now need some help. Elijah was a man just like you. We get to the end, don't know what to do. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah, came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? Now, if God was, as I've heard him always preached about in this passage, uh, looking in and in that uh, uh, angry uh, mode, he was said, and this is how we hear this. What are you doing here? Elijah, I'm disgusted to find you here. What the heck are you doing? Why in the world would you be down? I don't read it that way, as you'll see why already, and then a little bit further. And the word of the Lord came to him, what are you doing, Elijah? He said, hey, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, tore down your altars, and put your prophets to death by the sword. And I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand in the mountain in the presence of the Lord. Now that's a very significant phrase, presence of the Lord. Presence of the Lord. There's knowing about God, then there's his presence. Talk a little bit more about that in a moment. So go stand on the mountain. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. 
After that, the earthquake came a fire when the Lord was not in the fire. Now, I'm going to submit something to you. It's my belief God sent those things. I mean, we just read fire. Man, that's an evidence, and we know, we know, he doesn't yet, but in the New Testament, fire is clearly a demonstration of God's power and might. And, 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 and these things, the wind, earthquake, and fire, only came after uh, God said to go stand on the mountain. So they were of God. God created them, I think, but here's the real bottom. Um, there's a big difference between the recognition of God's power around you and the realization of God's power in you. So you can see all kinds of things. You can have heard all kinds of testimonies. You can have heard of all kinds of sermons, all kinds of things that have happened. You can have seen those, but you not be changed. But when he went into the presence of God, there was an impartation that changed. After the fire came a gentle whisper. When I, Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood in the mouth of the cave. So in the presence of the Lord, which we're told. And a voice said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? Now this is a voice he recognized. He understood at this time. This is God speaking. He knew God's voice. He knew the difference between commotion and the Savior. He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord Almighty. The Israelites have rejected you. Hey, haven't I told you this already? Uh, from down, they tore down your arms and put the prophets to death by this order. And I am the only one who cares anything about all this. Now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came Go to the desert of Damascus, anoint Haziel, king of Aram, Jehu, son of Nimshi, uh, king over Israel, uh, Elisha, son of Shaphat, uh, from Abel Meholah to succeed you as prophet. See, he just needed direction. What do I do? I don't know anything else to do. God was gracious to give him the direction. See, one moment in the presence of God can change everything. And Ahab, now, here's the deal. You, gotta, you know something, I'm going to do this really fast because uh, we're, we're running short in time. His claim, Elijah's claim, that he's the only one left, had he have just made God laugh? Because first of all, when, when um, we're told that Elijah goes to and finds Obadiah, but he's trying to get a message to Ahab, hey, it's going to rain, there's a parenthetical statement that we read part of, and it said, Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord, while Jezebel was killing off the Lord's prophets. Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in two caves, 15 each, and supplied them with food and water. Okay, so we'll give Elijah a break. He wasn't... He didn't get the parenthetical message. But he says this, uh, Obadiah does just a little bit later before uh, Elijah's going to leave him to take the message to Ahab. Haven't you heard, my Lord, what I did while Jezre Jezebel was the 
killing all the prophets. I hid a hundred of the Lord's prophets, a hundred of the Lord's prophets, in two caves, 15 each, and supplied them with food and water. Now you tell me to go to Ahab and tell him, light's here. When he once goes to the mountain and, and, and the fiasco with the prophets of Baal is over and he stands before them, he says, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord's God follow him, but if Baal's God follow him? Then Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left. Was that true? Had he been told that he knew? He's lying in ministry. No, he just hadn't. He hadn't heard, gotten it yet. When he's on, when he's on the mountain still, and he's one more time, the Lord says, "What are you doing here?" He says, "Oh, I've been very jealous of the Lord Almighty. The king of Israelites have rejected your coming, torn down your orders, and put your prophets to death in the sword. And I am the only one left." Now, right after that, God tells him what to do. Go to the desert of Damascus and da 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 And then he tells him more fully what, what will happen because of that. But he doesn't scold him, ever. You pathetic, wimpy, weaselly prophet. There's a hundred others beside you. Never said that. But after he gave the directions of what Elijah was supposed to do and go now, the Lord said to him, go back the way you came. Go to the desert of Damascus. Hey, Elijah. Yet I've reserved 7,000 people in Israel all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. Obadiah, it's not just 102 of you, the prophets Obadiah and you. There's 7,000. You are not the only one who cares about following me. How often do we feel that, though? Satan, the liar, comes to tell us. You really did that. You really said that. You call yourself a Christian. You can't be serious. You're not good enough to call yourself a Christian. God has to be mad at you. You screwed the whole thing and that's Satan's way because he's a liar and the father of lies. So, bottom line is, we all need a restor restoration, the restoring presence of God sometimes in our lives. We need something beyond just what we've been doing. You've been doing certain things and you keep doing them, but your, 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 your excitement, your energy, your confidence is gone. Uh, what do you do? Well, you're going to have to do something to get that restoring presence of God back. And I could give you a list of 32 things. Hey, while you're trying to rest and get restored, here's a bunch of stuff to do that will take you to restoration if you don't stop before you get to the end of the list. 
It's not, you don't need a list <clears throat> to get restored. Bottom line is, most of us need some time away. Here's one of the best, uh, um, and I'll define it just a little bit because it sounds like, well, great, you're going to pass out airplane tickets to Hawaii. That's fabulous, Wayne. I'm glad that came today. But, but here's the bottom line. This is a fantastic statement that has been uh, encountered in the last several years. A change of pace plus a change of place equals a change of perspective. Uh, Pastor Chris referred to that last week. Uh, Pastor Rich referred to that last year before he we went on a sabbatical. Uh, in the summer, a change of pace plus a change of place equals a change of perspective. So yeah, you're going to have to slow down or stop, probably. The same stuff isn't going to cut it. You're going to have to remove yourself from the norm. In the end, that will bring the change of perspective or possibility of the touch of God. Now, I understand some of you uh, have to work every day. Some of you are, are single parents, single moms, whatever, and you are worn out, aren't you? I mean, I know you think you have one child, and that's a lot, but think you got two jobs, three, four children. You're just worn out. And they always want you because they love you. And so you're saying, I don't know what I do. Here's something. Uh, um, two nights ago, our daughter, Kira, um, who has four children, um, went to a movie with her mom and um, then stayed at our house because her husband, JJ, uh, does this occasionally. He says, I'll take all four kids tonight. Yes, I worked all day long, but I'll take all four kids and you can go have time alone. And it's been a handful of times, but she's done something and then ended up staying at our house in a bedroom. Silence. <laughs> and you say, oh, that's great for Kira, wonderful, wonderful. But you just have to say, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? I was at a conference uh, with the uh, staff about uh, in the first part of June. I had an encounter with God there. That it's not something that someone could look at me and see anything at that moment in time. But I had a change in perspective about several things that changed in my life. Uh, one about direction for our campuses going on that I'd just been really wrestling with for a while. But, but what do you got to do? Can you go for a drive in your vehicle? <laughs> just you? It's quiet. Can you go in your bathroom? Shut the door? Lock the door? Lay on the floor? Turn the fan on? All the water? So you can't hear anything else? You're just going to have to say... What I'm doing probably isn't enough. If I need a restoring presence from God, I'm going to have to do something different than I've been doing. But there is a restoring presence from God. Elijah found it. And Elijah was a man, a human being, just like us. Stand. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just say thank you for your scripture. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the examples. Thank you for the facts that you do not give us examples that have nothing to do with our own lives. We ask you, there are loads of people here this morning saying, well, yeah, I sort of need a refresh. I need a time away. I need a vacation. I can't do, I can't, maybe I can. What do they need 
And how would they get it? That's the question we're asking. According to James 1, we ask for the wisdom there. How do they get time away? A little bit more. And we ask you to touch the Lord in Jesus' name. Amen.